So, for those that don't know, I am one of five siblings. I have an older brother who's 37, 38 years old. Somewhere in there. He's old. And then there's me. Then there's me. And then there's my, my younger brother, Travis. And, and there's a two-year difference between us. And then I have two younger sisters. There's Katie, who just turned 27. And then my younger sister, Stacy. And I can't remember how old she is. But she's the runt. <clears throat> um, one day I'll tell you a story about the time we convinced her to give herself a scroll. But not today. Um, I have a different story I'd like to share with you from my, with my siblings. And, uh, before I forget to tell you, our, our passage this morning we'll be reading from is Matthew chapter 3. So you can be turning there as I'm sharing this. And, and as you can imagine, being two years different from your brother, there's kind of a bit of a sibling rivalry there. We're close, we're, we're best buddies, we, we get along most of the time. Uh, but there is this undercurrent of, of a rivalry between us. Uh, it doesn't help that we grew up in Indiana, where in Indiana you have to learn to play basketball by the age of five. Or they tell you just to get out of the state. Move out, change your name, just abandon your Hoosier heritage. You have to learn to play. Uh, as a matter of fact, our first basketball hoop came from a gentleman in our church who found one in the dumpster. He just found the rim, he brought it home, and Dad took up a big sheet of plywood, put it on the wall and of his, of his shed, and that's, that's when our passion to play basketball began. And because Travis was always shorter than me, he had to learn to shoot from long distances. Because if he didn't, I'd just swat it or knock him down, or, you know, things big brothers do to the little brother. Um, but most of the time, I could, I could beat him most of the time. Now, when it came to playing video games together, that rivalry translated there. But it was a much more even playing field because there was no size disadvantage. There was no, it was just whoever could hit the button the right combination of times at the right moment. And as you can imagine, our love for sports carried over to our playing of video games. I remember one winter, uh, we were playing this, this NBA basketball game that we had. And he was absolutely destroying me in this game. I mean, going into the fourth quarter, I was down by 32 points. There was absolutely no hope. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I cannot lose to my little brother because I will never hear the end of it. Um, I, I'm not giving up on this. And it seemed like I was, I, there was no, absolutely no hope, no, nothing, no reason to expect to win. But I'm not going down. My first instinct was to shut the game off and say, ha, 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 you didn't win because you didn't finish with it. Uh, didn't do that. Instead, I just started, you know, I'll just shoot three-pointers. What's the worst that could happen? Does anybody remember the basketball player, Baron Davis? Does anybody watch basketball? Yeah. There's this basketball player named Baron Davis. And, and he was an average guy in real life in, in the NBA. He was, he was decent, but he wasn't the best. But in this game, you would think he was the next Michael Jordan. He could shoot from anywhere on the floor, and he just happened to be on my team. Not only did I end up doing that, I just started jacking up three-pointers with this guy. I just kept shooting them. And they kept going in. And somehow my brother, every time he shot it, he didn't make it. And if you get to know my brother, he gets very upset when he loses. And it's even, and he gets really distraught, and he gets really mouthy when it happens, so it makes it even better as he's going down. And he's just griping the whole time, and yet these three pointers, pointers keep going in for me. And by the time it's all said and I'm not done, I, when I was trailing by 32 points going into the fourth quarter, I ended up beating by 17 points. And he was so mad. That's one of my favorite memories, just because 
Uh, usually the video games, my brother, he would get the best of me most of the time. Uh, but I remember that. Because it seemed like there was absolutely no hope. I mean, it seemed like I was in this wasteland of nothingness with no hope of return. Yet somehow, it worked out. He still hates Mary Davis to this day. <laughs> I'll tell you that story to tell you this. There's something about when we're in the nothingness, when we're in the, the desert of the wilderness, there's just something about it. If you study scripture, you'll see it everywhere. Think about the story in Genesis and creation. It says the Spirit of God hovered above the, the, the deep. Referring to this deep and empty nothingness. It's say the story of the Exodus in, 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 in the book of Exodus. And God leading his people from the promised land. He takes them from Egypt. And where does he lead them to? Into the wilderness. There's something about this wilderness. And, and, and the question we're going to be examining today as we look at Matthew chapter 3 is, why the wilderness? What is it about? And the title of today's sermon is, The Kingdom of Heaven is Near. So Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem. All Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But then he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, and he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You guys are catching up. So before we can answer the question of why the wilderness, we first have to look at this strange God that comes wandering out of the wilderness. And one thing you have to keep in mind when you're reading this passage is, is that God has not spoken through a prophet for 400 years. It hasn't been since they were in the Babylonian captivity and 
just coming out of that, that God sent a prophet to his people to speak to them on his behalf. That hasn't happened in 400 years. God has been silent. In that time, you know, they, they traded the, 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 the reign of Babylon over them, and now Rome has, they have set out on their Pax Romana this idea that you know, they can bring world peace if, if, they, if they conquered everybody and made them Roman. Think about it. If everybody was Roman, there was world peace. No problems. That's where Jerusalem finds itself. Then out of the wilderness comes this guy. Very strange man. Dressed in weird clothes and eating weird food. It's kind of symbolic of, of the past. So here, here is God in the science and the nothingness. And all of a sudden, out of this nothingness, out of the wilderness comes walking this man. Carrying the voice of God. This is what he says. We're going to go back through the passage a little bit slower now, like we normally do. It says, In these days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who spoken of the prophet Isaiah, voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So this strange man comes out of the wilderness, kind of like the prophets of old. Matter of fact, there, there's some scholars who believe that, that John the Baptist is the last of the prophets in the Old Testament sense. But at the same time, as we're going to study, you're going to see not only is he the last of the Old Testament prophets, but he's the first of a new kind of prophet, a new kind of speaker. And he comes out of this wilderness, and he has one message that God has given him. That message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is the sermon that he preaches. And there, that word repent there, it's more than just feeling sorry that you did something. It's beyond just having guilt for doing something against God. This word repent means to literally change your mind. So you can be sorry for doing something. You can feel guilty for doing something, but that doesn't necessarily equal changing your mind about it. So often when we make mistakes, or even when we sin against God and we have to go back and repent, this is what we do. We rationalize why we did something. We go back to the list of all the reasons. I did it this way because... And because they did this, and we rationalize it, and we, we justify it, we still feel bad about it, we feel sorry for it. But that's not true repentance. <laughs> no, true repentance is when, when you recognize that I, I did this. Me alone, nobody else did it for me. I made this decision. It was wrong against God. It was wrong against my neighbor. And I'm never going to do it again. I never want to do it again. I don't want to see it as okay again. That is changing your mind towards them. That's what real repentance is. That's what, that's what the word repentance means throughout the rest of the New Testament. This changing of your mind. So he's, he's saying, repent. Change your mind. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near.
So often we stop and we think about the kingdom of heaven as someplace off, far in the distance, right? We even kind of talked about it a little bit last week when we have this, we talked about having this expectancy, this, this hopeful expectancy that Jesus is coming back and he's going to rescue us away from us and he's going to take us to live with him forever in heaven. But here John is saying the kingdom of heaven is near. Is he talking about that? Oh yes, kind of. He's talking about, yes, he's talking about this, this future kingdom that's coming, but, but it's simpler than that too. And while he's talking about this future kingdom, he's also talking about the fact that Jesus is coming. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. And the, the, the king of heaven has come to earth and he is, his ministry is about to start. It's about to begin. He's coming and he's going to start preaching the same message that John is preaching. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. But in reality, when Jesus is preaching it, it is, repent because the kingdom is here. I'm not saying that if you're listening to me, don't, don't leave here saying, well, Jesus doesn't believe in the heaven. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? There is a place called heaven. There's a day where Jesus is coming back and he's going to take us away from here and, and we're going to be called up from the grave to meet him in the air. And just as Jesus was bodily resurrected, we're going to be bodily resurrected. And just as Jesus' body was glorified, we're going to be glorified. We're going to be part of this glorified kingdom that's coming to earth. But do you realize when by faith you repent, you change your mind, accept Jesus into your heart, that kingdom comes and lives inside of you. Matter of fact, you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven in that moment. So while yes, the kingdom of heaven is this far off idea, it's also something that exists here in the presence, in the person of Jesus Christ. And John is looking at these people and he's saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. He's coming. When the kingdom of heaven comes, it brings with the two things. And one, one, Jesus' ultimate goal, God's desire is to see everybody saved. Remember, we have a God that's not willing that anyone should perish. But all should come to know him. same time, by His very presence coming, by Him offering this gift of salvation to us, by offering this choice for a different life, if we reject it, there are consequences for that decision. Verses 4 through 6. It says, John's clause, we'll skip down. Um, let's see. Starting at verse 6, it says, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So part of this repentance was confessing that they were sinners. Now keep in mind that John is a prophet that is going to the Jews. 
God's holy people, God's chosen people, that have had the law go with them wherever they've gone. And John is coming to him saying, confess your sins. about them being baptized. Notice how, how confession came first and then baptism. You ever wonder why in the church why we, we, we wait till somebody comes to accept Jesus and then we baptize them after? This is kind of where that idea originates. It's this idea of, of at first that person has to recognize who they are and who they are standing before God. They have to confess what they've done that have that changing of the mind. But then at some point, they are baptized to share that confession that took place. Baptism doesn't save you. That's not what does it. The blood of Jesus is what saves you. Your faith in Jesus is what gives you that gift of salvation. It's that gift from God that he gives to you by your faith. But baptism is, is where you are, you put on, you, you display it to the rest of the world. This is what Jesus has done for me. My heart was blackened and covered in sin and shame, but Jesus came and he made my heart clean. That's what baptism is. And really what's kind of interesting and kind of cool about this is the Jews, like, whenever they had someone that was outside of their nation, that was outside of the Jewish people, that wanted to believe in the one true God, they would baptize them. That person would make a confession and profess the name of, uh, of the Lord, and then they would baptize them to show them that they were different now. So what's really fascinating is this was something that the Jews used for the Gentiles that wanted to join them. And we have to remember something about the Jews here. They had this attitude towards everybody else that wasn't Jewish. That was, to be honest, it was just racist. It was flat out wrong and it was mean and it was cruel. That you were either Jewish or you were a nobody. That was their attitude. And here comes John the Baptist walking into their camp saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. And these Jews, just like the Gentiles before they were converting, they, they come to John, they confessed, hey, yeah, we've not been living right. We've, we've read of God's law. We've been going to the temple and studying it for all these years. And somehow we still missed it. They recognize this need in their life. And so they confess their sins. And then John, as a demonstration of that confession that took place, he said, be baptized. And they were baptized. And they were... It's fascinating for people that hated the Gentiles so much that they, they went they, Can you imagine the looks you would get from the other Jews that weren't being converted at this moment. This is a big step of faith for them. This is a big risk, a big gamble. But they did it. Because of their love for God and recognizing that in hearing the message of John the Baptist and, and the Spirit doing the work here. Right, verses 7 through 10. And then it says, But when then he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. And John said to them, Merry Christmas. No, that's not what he said. He said, You brood of vipers, 
should greet your family that way when they come walking through the door this Christmas. You grew the vipers! And see how they respond. Or better yet, you know, go be a see like be one of those um, Salvation Army bell ringers as they're coming. You grew the vipers! Maybe you say that the people don't put any change in the book. Anyway. But that's what John says to him. And he's not saying this to just anybody, he's saying this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were the religious leaders of their day. And they're really, they're, 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 I'm sure there were more groups within the Jewish nation, just like there is in Christianity, right? There's 10 different, 10,000 plus different denominations of Christianity. Did you realize that? There are more denominations of Christianity than there are flavors of ice cream. And I'm sure the Jewish people were, were very similar in that respect. But really, these were the big two. And, and the Pharisees, they were the strict legalists. They followed the law. They, 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 they did their best to not do anything out that, that would upset anything or upset God. They, we would refer to them as the conservatives in our day. Now, the Sadducees, they were more known as the liberals, kind of. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. As a matter of fact, they were kind of a group that was trying to, to kind of more of a political group than a religious group. They were trying to keep the Romans happy, but they were the ones in power of the, of the temple at the time. So these are the two groups of religious leaders, and we don't know why they come down to see John, but John sees them coming and says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That word vipers there. It says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? You get this picture, this idea of, uh, that you, let's say you're out in the woods and you know there, you know, there's a bunch of snakes in this, this really dense wooded area and someone lights it on fire. All those snakes are going to do everything they can to get out of that fire, aren't they? They're going to slither and get away from it. That's the picture John the Baptist is going to get the snakes fleeing from the flames burning up where they're hiding in. But these aren't just any snakes. These, aren't, these just aren't like gardener snakes or a snake that's going to bite you and it's not really going to do any harm. No, these are poisonous snakes. And he's referring to their teachings and their understandings. And their teachings and understandings were poisoning the people of God. And that's why John the Baptist was sent by God to them to say, Repent, the kingdom of God is near. And he goes on and tells them, Priest, fruit, and keeping with repentance. Do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He's saying, don't just say, you know what, because I, you know, I'm an actual physical descendant of Abraham, that I'm safe. Just because you're a Jewish person, don't just assume that you are a child of God. Why? Because being a child of God requires repentance. And repentance requires confession, and then the baptism to follow Jewish leaders as they're coming, he looks down at the rocks and he says, 
You know, you might think you're a son of Abraham, that's going to save you. But I'm telling you the truth. God can take these very pebbles right here and create a people for himself. And people that produce fruit and keep you from repentance. All right. This is not saying that it's what you do that gets you saved. You can never do enough to earn your way and earn your favor with God. You can't. It really is simple as changing your mind and repenting and having faith in Him. It's really that simple. But when you do that, when true repentance has taken place in your life, when your mind has really been changed, it's going to alter the way you live. It's going to alter the things that you do. It's going to alter the way you react to situations. It's going to alter the way you treat those around you. That's the fruit of repentance. That change that takes place. We in the church now, we call those the, the fruit of the Spirit. And notice that that word fruit of the Spirit is not plural. It's not fruits of the Spirit. Like, one of us gets one, one of us gets the other, and I might have this one, and somebody else might have No, it's fruit of the Spirit. You have them all. And they're all growing within you, inside that one fruit. And somehow through all of it, John saw these religious leaders coming, and he recognized that there was something about their teaching that was poisonous and dangerous, and that their lives, though they were teaching the things of God supposedly, that their lives was not matching what they were teaching. They knew all the laws, they knew all the rules, they knew how to follow all the rituals, but those rituals and those laws and all that following did nothing to change who they were. And so John says, and don't think that because of you being a descendant of Abraham can save you. God can take these rocks and he can do it again. He can create for himself our new people from these very stones before him. So verses 10 and really through 11 and 12, it says, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat to the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a very stern warning from John. And ultimately he is saying, it's not like the, 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 the woodsman is not there yet. He hasn't, he, the axe is sitting there waiting for him, but he's not there and he's not picked it up to take it down yet. The choice was in the hands of these Jewish people. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Change your mind and start living differently. Change your mind and, and let, let the, 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 the flow of that change, that lifestyle change, affect the way you live. Or that tree is getting chopped down. The choice is yours.
I know it's a bit lumpy in the way. <laughs> right? Today's the, the way Adam would look, you know. And really, if you think about it, it doesn't sound like John's message is much of a love message, is it? But really, it is. Because of this choice here. You have a choice in it. That ability for us to choose between right and wrong for ourselves is proof of God's love for us. With no ability to choose, there is no love. Love does not coerce. Love does not force. Love does not make you feel guilty. Love doesn't make you feel sorry about it. Love is love. It empowers you. It uplifts you. It changes you. Somehow the movie Frozen got it right. There's something crazy about love that, that can change a person. And so that was the love of God that he gave humanity a choice for themselves. Alright, so what else will I have to do about the this? And the question we were looking to answer from all of this is why the wilderness? Leading 
don't know what it looks like. But all we know is that the Spirit is leading us there, that the Spirit is leading us through this nothingness, this unknown, this wilderness, this barren land, that on the other side waiting for us is the promised land of God. Why the wilderness? It's the wilderness because it's that voice calling us, is beckoning us to put enough trust and have enough faith in God to leave behind what is safe. To leave behind our past. To leave behind sin and enter into a new way of living. Think about it. What is repentance? It's changing your mind. Stop, it's, it's stopping and not seeing sin for the same way you saw it before. It's not feeling sorry for what you've done. It's not about feeling guilty about it. It's about recognizing that God loves you and that love radically transforming you to the point where you no longer want to sin anymore. That you want to please God. But that's a lifestyle you have never lived before. Because you're stuck in this broken, messed up world. And because you've been living in a sinful and broken, messed up way. And having faith and trusting God to step in out of the known, out of the safety and the comfort of what you've always done, into the wilderness where the Spirit of God is leading you, is new. And it's happened. And it's calling to you from the wilderness. Living the life that God's called us to live. A life that, that shows the fruits of repentance is to live in the wilderness. Trusting God along the way. This new, this, this newness that we find in the wilderness is recognizing and realizing that by faith you are now a citizen of this kingdom of God that John is saying the kingdom of God is near. And that we can look back and say the kingdom of God is here and it can live inside of me. That is the something new. It is the something that's happened and is available. But we just have to be willing to surrender our hearts and our lives to leave behind all that we've known. All the patterns that make us feel safe and comfortable. And go into this wilderness. Trusting what the Spirit has for us. Let's face it, it's scary. You're talking to a guy who lived in the same hometown for 24 years. I'm an introvert, and one thing that introverts are well known for is we don't like change. We don't. That's why we're an introvert, because when we go out in public, people and faces change around us, and that's scary to us. But in 2013, God told me, maybe because God told me, Jason, I want you to leave your home and move to Colorado. I had so many connections in Martinsville where I grew up, I got a job just by looking at people. 
My first job, I got working at a pizza shop. You know why I got it? Because I went to church, and the guy that owned it was a sound guy at the church. I didn't ask him for guy goes with AJ's in my job. Okay. But it wasn't until I took that step of faith that I left all that behind. You see, I was told I was 16 years old. I had mentors, I had friends that were building me and discipling me in that church, but I really didn't get to know God. I didn't experience Him and grow closer to Him until when? Until I took that step into the wilderness. And just when I got comfortable on that western slope of Colorado, He sent me to Littleton. He sent this country redneck boy from the, from the middle of nowhere in Colorado to the big city of Denver. That was Denver. And then after a year of ministering there, God said, Jason, I want you to pack up everything. I want you to leave this full-time youth pastor job and take one that's going to pay you with a house. Hello? Are you sure, God? Is this really what you want? Because this is an awful big step of faith. What if I take this step of faith and I'm wrong? What if I take this step of faith and, and my, my wife ends up leaving me and my daughter ends up getting taken away because I don't have the funds to care for her? What about this whole verse God in your Bible that says, hey... Take care of your own household first, dummy. Something like that. What about all that God bless and Jason? Trust me. And the one thing I've begun to notice and understand is that God's going to call you away from the comfort and the things you know into the wilderness over and over again. Why? Because that's where you can learn to trust His Spirit. Are you 
brave enough to leave the failures or the familiar to seek God in the unknown? Think about all the greatest movements in the history of the church. When Martin Luther recognized what the church was doing was wrong by selling things to, to you know, if you buy it, but you send us five easy payments of $9.95 and we'll, we'll make sure you're guaranteed your sins are forgiven. Martin Luther was like, uh, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. And bravely stepped out, risking his, risking his reputation, risking his career, risking his very life by taking a note with 95 things on it and nailing it to the church door. He stepped into the wilderness to follow God. Martin Luther King Jr. to, to really get the civil rights movement going, what does he do he, in the middle of the 60s where race were all segregated and doing our own things? Knowing that he could be beaten and killed and blown up and all those things, what does he do? He steps into the wilderness. And church, I'm here to tell you, if God's going to do something great in our day, if God's going to change the city of Meadville in our day, we have to be brave enough to step out into the wilderness and trust God with it. I know how great the traditions of the church have been. I know how powerful they've been. But what if God's calling us to step in the wilderness away from all those things?
the boldness to step out into the wilderness. And perhaps that boldness is a willingness to step out and come to these altars this morning. Jane, will you lead us in this song? Would you stand with us?
things that comforted us, things that have brought us victory in the past. Even sin, God. We've become, become so accustomed and used to it. Oh, Lord, may we hear your voice calling in the wilderness, calling out to us to take a step of faith, to trust you, Though we don't know where we're going or how it's all going to work out, God, we trust you because you are God and you are good. Because you love us, we have a plan for us. And Lord, we have faith to trust you in the things unseen. Lord, it's so easy for us to talk about having faith and, and how much we believe God, but, but help us to understand that, that that faith will bear fruit, and that fruit is us having the boldness to step out. Step away from what was familiar, from the safety of what's comfortable, into the realm of the wilderness.
name I pray. Amen. Now may the spirit of truth go with you and guide you into all the truth. You are dismissed. Yeah. 